Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Crushing Comics, and this is our classic epic X-Men reread. We are digging into the Chris Claremont material from the very beginning, and today we're going to be tackling the stories from Uncanny X-Men issues 98 and 99, as well as their corresponding classic X-Men backups and revisions from classic X-Men 6 and 7. So we're going to fully spoiler things not only happening in these Claremont classic issues, but probably in the rest of Claremont's run, and even in some cases a little bit up to and including House of X and Powers of X, because we are reevaluating these classic stories in terms of those modern ones. But with all that out of the way, I want to welcome my co-hosts from around the world, Tyler and Faria, to this wonderful X-oriented conversation. How are you both today? Doing good. I'm like, you know, kind of getting deeper and deeper into Claremont's X-Men and becoming a true X-Men fan. So I'm going to see how this, how Ma... Yeah, I'm not sure yet. Gene I'm not fan. sure yet. We'll see, we'll see. But the thing I'm is definitely... Oh. Definitely a Storm fan, <laughs> so, you know, I'm making some progress, but the thing is, like, at the same time, mm-hmm. this also means that, you know, now I hate everything, so, you know, I'm becoming it's a true The true, true meaning fan. of being we'll an see. X-Men fan. The more <laughs> yes. and more you learn about continuity, the more and more you hate everything and every story all the time. Exactly. This, yeah, to it's... me, is... These are the stories where Claremont, like, <laughs> turns on. Like, the first four issues that he wrote are, like, Eh. And then this is this is where you this is where Claremont really starts yeah. Claremonting in my mind. Claremonting. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's and then yeah. and then you'll find all his Claremontism. <laughs> well, look, we, <laughs> we open in issue number ninety-eight uh, so casually. The X-Men have been together for a year, even though we've only really seen two stories with them. There it's Christmas time, and this to me is like a, a time-honored X-Men tradition, which is there's some kind of direction that you should do something in the Marvel universe, which is like do a holiday story. And the X-Men author is like, no, we're not gonna do that. Which yeah, which I think like, is kind of like the the whole proud history of X-Men. We're going to start with it. Start start like we are going to do it. And then <laughs> we're just going to turn it, take a right turn. Yeah, X-Men you know, establishing early right on that they never turn. will truly and fully well, participate with Marvel events uh, unless it's their own event. But we, it does mean we do get some wonderful streetwear fashions of the X-Men. And it's like, can you really picture this group having what seen what we've seen of them in the last two issues, just going to like Rockefeller Plaza to ice skate? Like, I just can't even imagine them all being in a car together at this point. I know. I mean, it's just like, I know. <laughs> no, I mean... Uh... No, no, I was just going to say <laughs> that. Yeah, you just go first. It just felt like a, a forced team exercise that sometimes when you're, you know, you have to go, your work takes you to like, you know, an after work drink session or something like that it has the same level of awkwardness in it and <laughs> right this is required so, team building everybody trust falls yeah, let's requir- go yeah required team building so that's what i kind of read it as like you know it's just like there's still even though they say it's been a year i'm like really has it been <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like they're a group of people who's been who's known <laughs> each other for a year i don't know i mean i was like okay let's see how this mm-hmm. goes yeah yeah and they had like catch that. Oh, i don't always notice it with uh what's what's oh her name God, countessa <laughs> yeah page one yeah. Yeah, I did. Right see on that. the lower right corner. Interesting. Okay, <laughs> I did so see the... uh, Stan and Jack Kirby later on, but well, the, he, this is 
Yes. So the, the, the I think I think um in the beginning they keep having like all these like Easter eggs of 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 characters from Marvel Universe coming in, just popping in. No, no dialogue, no nothing. They just draw. I mean, Cockrum just drew. And then drew every them subsequent in, so. continuity guide had to say where that would be placed in Nick Fury's continuity, such <laughs> such as it all fits together. So uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, the, owing to the nature of this forced team fun exercise, it seems like it breaks up pretty early. Cyclops has a date with Jean, but before we get to that, we do see Nightcrawler and Colossus peeling off to flirt with some young women, one of whom is Quinn. Incidentally, Amanda Sefton, although we only get the barest of hint of that here. Uh, to them, it's just two pretty ladies that they're flirting with, but Claremont and his Claremont way will turn this into a massive plot for Nightcrawler as the years go on. Who is this person? Oh. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I have not picked up on that. Oh. I mean, should we? Do you, what, do you want to know? We could both take a shot at trying to explain it's fine. it. Well, the thing is, it's coming up later, yeah. right? Yeah. You're saying that it's... Okay, in that case... <laughs> We'll, 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 t- we'll yeah, talk about it when it does. Yeah. Well, I feel I feel like those two were not meant to be. Well, Amanda is not meant to be Amanda Sefton in the beginning. I feel like they, they, they I think they were referenced. They were supposed to reference mm. some like seventies movie stars or Broadway stars, and then and then Claremont just in the classic just inserted a page later on and, and said that oh this is this, I am Amanda Sefton. You know, I know you don't recognize me oh, now, but okay. blah, 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 you know. So, so that, that's like oh, a page that, that was page. added in so, later okay. on. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But you don't know yet who Amanda Sefton is, so that's cool. Mm. M- more to come. So we, we pivot yeah, very quickly from that, that to Cyclops and Jean. Jean in this lovely black dress with this gold, uh, this fancy gold statement necklace. And they barely have time enough to check their coats at the restaurant and uh, in through the ceiling bursts the Sentinels, because of course the top priority of all of the X-Men would be to capture Jean and Cyclops, I guess, and ruin everybody's evening at the restaurant by doing it. I mean, these are holiday season uh, reservations. They were not easy to get, but waltz right in, Sentinels. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, also like, Sentinels has been around (laughs) before this, right? Because this didn't seem like, something like they knew. Um, I was mostly interested in just saying that, so Sentinels are just robots, right? There's not a person between in them. No, it's there's not, not operated a by person. a person. Yeah, there's because some the way question they talk. as to like how sentient, no. sentient their no. their um, yeah. computer controlled minds are, but they're not meant yeah. to have a person inside. Yeah, because I think it's the way they talk. It just feels awkward because I'm like, who is right programming this that they will be like the Sentinels have returned? Why? <laughs> that just feels. That just feels weird. <laughs> well, that that's that to me is more like yeah. a palpy type of thing, you know, like you know, like the 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 Martians attack and that kind of you know that kind of uh, <laughs> I mean that's that's the feeling that I get from from this this sentence, like you know the way they 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 frame it and and they drew it like at the side. Right. The corner no, I mean I was just I wasn't sure bold. about this because you know I don't I think like in modern times Sentinels is like a thing of the past, like they don't mention like they don't bring them up as much it's just something that they talk about as some something they have fought before so i'm not super familiar with their technology but the thing is sentinels Wait, are all what over are you the talking place. about yeah they appeared in but House they Fox. don't actually fight them anymore do they yeah they're there 
Well, of course they did, right? Rasputin, Rasputin were fighting. And then Rasputin the and Kaiden present, were they were kind of them, trying to take the them out, take line. out the Master Mold facility before it could like make tons and tons and tons of them. Yeah, I think the difference okay. that you maybe yeah. are noticing is that they used to play really hard this idea that once any Sentinel had faced a certain mutant power, that it had like adapted to that power, and so that mutant wouldn't be able to hurt it or fight it anymore. But just mm-hmm. over the years and over the bringing back Sentinels again and again and having to like create novel ways to fight them, that. That has kind of been tuned down a little bit and now I feel like with right. Sentinels it's just they're just big robots yeah. that don't like mutants but it used to be that they were seen as this they were really adaptive and like once you fought them one time you weren't going to be able to beat them again and so that's why there's so much emphasis in these issues about like oh but you haven't fought mm-hmm. Banshee but you haven't fought Wolverine because that was kind of like what the, the threat of the Sentinels were at that time right I mean that's what I'm saying like nowadays it yeah. feels like they're just even if when they appear, they're just some robot that just shows up and then they easily take them down. So it's not even much amounts to right. much. You, then you you're need like, like oh, Nimrod okay, or like something a, to make it feel threatening now. Right. But that's because true. the thing is, there's always a bigger yeah. villain behind them. The Sentinels right. themselves are not the threat. It's just like, oh, someone sent a robot after us. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, it just doesn't feel like that yeah. important anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but how did you so, feel about but, it here? Because this is, I mean, they had been <laughs> from the Silver Age. They debut in X-Men 14 through 16, but this is Claremont's yeah. first use of them, of course. Do you feel like they felt like more of a threat here than they do in the modern use of them? Not actually. Like, I don't know, it just felt like, you know, because they were, it felt like that they were more taken by surprise, so they couldn't deal with them, but it didn't felt like, you know, something that all of them together could not overcome, which, mm. you know, kind of comes to be. But, I mean, yeah, I, at first I was a little confused by the mm-hmm. words they were using, that I wasn't sure if there was actually a person inside or not, so that kind of took me out until I realized that, oh, okay, there isn't any, and then they just speak funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there there is someone behind right, right, these, right. these Sentinels right, too, right? right. Is um, Stephen so, Lang. Yeah. And in their initial yeah. fight with the Sentinels, we get some really cool power moments. Jean in one of these wonderful Cockrum kind of psychedelic mm-hmm. reversed colors versions of her using her power. Beautiful. Cyclops just blasting yeah. the eyes right out of his glasses, apparently, because they're his like, daytime <laughs> glasses that clearly still have ruby quartz in yeah. them, you know, but he lifts up the ruby quartz uh, lenses. Yeah. But also we get Wolverine um, with claws coming right out of his hands, which is a surprise to some folks here and we also get storm and kind of the first hint that storm's weather abilities really can mess up more than she intends as she almost throws all of new york into a crisis with this size of what is like a tornado or something that she's trying to use to pull the sentinel out of new york yeah right and Scott also started referring to himself in the third person, <laughs> like in the issue six ninety six caption box. He's <laughs> like, "How long?" Yeah, can now that now the mocking Scott? has jumped out of the caption boxes and just into Scott <laughs> mocking himself. Fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but also no, it kind of feels the action just feels a little bit better coordinated here. Like Claremont's starting to get a sense of 
what the powers can do, and it's not it's not just feeling like the same every time. Even with Cyclops hanging off of the side of the building and then Storm having to mm-hmm. catch him, which is like pretty similar to Cyclops falling out of the air in 94 and 95, and yet it just feels like the rhythm is a little bit different, and he's yeah. starting to get used to that. And I think that's a theme through the next like five or six issues, is Claremont figuring out that they're a little bit more dimensional, and he doesn't just have to use them the same way in every single fight. And I also kind of... Oh. No, no, no. I was and also, I think he, he points out that sorry, they've been you go together ahead. for a year, so they've been training in the danger room for a year. Right. So they are now more, a little bit more <laughs> coordinated. Also, yep. to point out that you know, for um, Banshee now forever going to be, to me, known as the person that Wolverine just hangs on to as he's just <laughs> flying away because that's something they just do all the time. And I'm like, so it kind of go, actually ask the question: How strong is he? Because you know, uh, Wolverine is made of adamantium that we now know, which is heavy, but he just flies around the dude, nobody's yeah. business. I think so, Wolverine's supposed to be like 300 pounds, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So and I then, don't. And Banshee's just being yeah. kept aloft by like the reverberations of his sonic scream. Like he can't actually fly. Right. <laughs> so it, that kind of shows how strong is yeah. he. And, you know, but then. I guess, like, you know, in modern times, he's just, like, the red shirt of X-Men, which is sad, but I'm like, aw, he, he knows how, he's up to something. Yeah. Well, that just means... Oh, go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, so, no, I was trying to point out that, like, um, Claremont initially did not really like to it write shows. Wolverine and Banshee, because <laughs> this like... issue is the second time, it's the second time that they get taken <laughs> yeah. off, like, off panel. Remember the 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 attack of the the attack the the, the ah. havoc attack in the airport, they they just appear suddenly <laughs> in a true. flying car. That is true, but <laughs> like but it, Banshee, and, yeah. Yeah, but so I, I think I mean, he, he didn't really that like that. He really doesn't like over it. We'll talk about it more upcoming. But it's like, ooh, <laughs> gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that will change. Hopefully. That that will change later I'm, on. But um, but yes. This is this this is the part where I think Wolverine is still being used as the um you know the crazy guy the the guy who just fights and and it's really and we're gonna get to another scene of that with Wolverine which I'm pretty sure Freya will have some opinions on but before we do it's time to check in on Professor X in the Bahamas where he's decided to go on a fishing <laughs> vacation with Doctor Astronaut uh, Peter Carbeau. We cannot take credit for that. Explain the X Men has a long running riff about Doctor Astronaut Peter Carbeau. <laughs> Let me just point out that this character is not debuting now. He he was originally a character in Incredible Hulk. And that is where he debuted. But Claremont is starting to do his thing where he's just yeah. drawing everybody in. And of course, Professor X is friends with this guy. Uh, and, and they're out on a nice fishing trip. And Professor X is confessing about this space vision. Now, I have to say, I've now read these issues a number of times. I feel like the space vision plot doesn't make really any sense, even even when we get to it kind of reaching its culmination. And the classic X-Men issues in this period like do insert a lot more material into it. And it, it and I think this is one of the things the classic X-Men issues mm-hmm. actually help because the space subplot in the issues, every time he brings it up, he's like, I'm torn because of my visions of space. I'm like, what visions? And I'm like, oh, the bug people from the splash page. I don't know, is it just me? Like I've never found this plot to really work very well. Faria, you're new to it. Is it is it working for you? I have no idea because I thought that you know this is gonna come to fruition later on as you guys have it will out that Claramon, yeah Claramon, yeah so then I'm just waiting for that it will so but is it like okay. actually holding your interest all on its own or is it holding your interest because we told you that it's going to come to fruition later 
I'll be honest with you, nothing about Professor X holds my interest. <laughs> as a fan. Like, <laughs> burn Professor X. Oh, what, even that. that. Like, creepy? I'm like, oh, this is so boring. Why did we ever... I'm telling you, it's because of Patrick Stewart. I have a complete different understanding of Professor X than I do now. I mean, nothing about him is like... We're, we're going to talk some more in, later on about how he kind of start like, blows up... Uh, with Cyclops and all that, but it's like I'm like, go yeah. away with your space vision. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I noted that too. But like this, this scene is the first time. I mean, well, it's not the first time, but it's it's the chef the is where the chef Coscan appear, right? Because you know the Sentinel was flying off and was mentioning about solar radiation. Yeah, shows Claremont kind of planning several issues ahead. I mean, this means not so only this does is he like... already know that Jean's gonna have to sacrifice herself. Not only does he like he, he already know what the or maybe he doesn't yeah. and he's just gonna write his way out of a trap. I don't know. We'd have to. But I mean, he's definitely laying a lot of I elements know. <laughs> um, that he will have to pay off later. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know the Sentinel bursts out from underwater, yeah. ruins poor Doctor Astronaut Peter Kudrow's boat. Um, and kidnaps Xavier, but not before Xavier gets it with a mind blast, which I think to me just makes me think of like the the um, the big yeah. X Men arcade cabinet video game, and how like everybody's power has to work on everything else. So like you can't have a character that has mental powers, but then they can't like fight a robot. So every you know you have to make the damage apply to everything, and we're still in that part of comic books where it's like, oh, we don't want to make it so that Professor Xavier's defenseless. Let's have him hurt the robot with a cybolt. <laughs> Which, like, now we would never tolerate in and a comic that's, book, right? That, and to be honest, that's like, uh... when I was like, are there people in there? Right. Like, that's exactly when I, w- I started thinking about that. I'm like, how does his mind blast works on them? What kind of machines are these? Well, and when I read these old comic books, I can never decide if the if the author's trying to just write their way out of having the psychic character have something to do, or if they're trying to say that, like, higher order artificial intelligence is affected by a cybolt, which to me is so much more interesting, but I don't I don't know if we're really on that level or not. I actually thought it yeah. that way, so But then, you know, I mean in in a previous issue, Professor X was like scanning the computer system, you know. So so I think it was just something that Claremont was writing at that point in time. <laughs> but that will also soon in seventies people away. did not know how computer works. I'll be honest. People don't know how computer works now, so let alone back then. But anyway. Well, we go from that scene to the first scene on the spaceship, and one of my favorite Jean Grey scenes of all time, and I think a scene that's really significant to the everybody's read of X-Men, which is, you know, Dr. Lang has them all tied up, and Jean just totally goes off on him and her her dialogue with him starts with where's your swastika lang you don't look dressed without it and he's like i'm no nazi just like people might say today and she says following orders huh and gene just proceeds to draw a perfect equivalence between his hatred of mutants and the 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 actions of nazis and basically says like it doesn't matter if you think you are one or if you think you're following the orders or not we know by your actions and like first of all this is the first i think truly badass gene gray paneling of of ever really um and then second of all just to reread this this year i actually reread this last year to be my Twitter header. Uh, gosh, has any four X Men panels continued to feel as significant to the modern day as these four? I don't know. Am I like reading too much into it? This is really one of my favorite pages of X Men of all time. But I'd love to hear some other people talk about it. 
So to to me though, I feel like this is like the first time we have seen the parallel between mutants and you know a minority in the modern modern world is kind of put in a way that we still understand it and yeah. then we still it still is relevant. Um, and I also thought that it was very like you know funny in a way that you know that she's teasing him even though she's kind of tied up and he is like like huffing and puffing around um so i mean you know i i thought that this was like you know a very effective i'll say though i wasn't expecting gene to say it like you know and then i i'm I, like i said i'm still not a gene convert yet so i'm not sure i'm not sure you know but i she she won points with me like this tyler mm-hmm. well i mean um, female characters in the you know Silver Age are usually not used very well. I mean, they tend to be the character who's like, "Oh, I need to rush home and cook dinner," you know, which is what Sue Storm said, I think, in, in, in issue one. Like, oh, you know, I, I just made my hair beautiful for Reed, and I need to rush home <laughs> to cook dinner for him. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, this is this doesn't hold. I mean, it 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 reads kind of off, but if you understand what it is like in Silver Age, so so you have characters here that are being empowered, um, to you know have a point of view. They know what. I mean, they, they are their own characters. They, they can stand up to, you know, um, villains and, 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 um, and stand for something. And um, you will soon see characters like, you know, Storm and um, other female X-Men coming in that, you know, represents, um, yeah, a, a, a more modern age uh, female characters, which, you know, I mean, Claremont said, I think in one of right, the right. interview, which I think I showed it to you, uh, in the chat, yeah, that he he's he he recognized that there's a void, and so he's feeling. And I actually had the chance with, like, oh, strong ahead. female. No, no, I was just gonna say that she also made a good, effective way to kind of get Lang down and put him in his place. Like you know, she knows that this is gonna work. However, like and as great as this four panel is, I have something to say about the follow up panel in the next page. But Peter, I'll, well, I, I'll I I know where you're going, so I won't I won't be too long with this. But I think too that the idea that you could read into it that like Jean gets people, she's a psychic, right? Like she knows how to get under his skin more effectively, and it does feel shocking to me to read this comic from this time because it feels like the the things that she's saying with the force that she's saying them feels like something that would you know even a year or two before have been given naturally to cyclops or wolverine to say and so i just get excited that jean gets to say it and i love that she ends with you sad pathetic screwed up little man uh which is like something we could say about some people in the modern day too and make them feel (laughs) just as bad uh but the thing i was going to insert to what tyler said is i actually had the chance to meet claremont once and and ask him you know about that idea of bringing in strong female characters and filling the void. And part of his response, which I think is fascinating, is that while he did see that there was a void, he also, he's like, I was just reflecting my life. You know, I was reflecting my mother. I was reflecting people that I knew, you know, in my upbringing that were involved in World War II and were women. Uh, you know, I was reflecting the reality that women are strong. And I, and that to me was so personal and so affecting because that's why I picked up X-Men to begin with, because I was living a life with, you know, void of strong 
strong men or men that had any worth at all that was all with strong women. And I was like, well, of course fiction should reflect this and why doesn't it? And so just, I had this like moment of deep, deep connection with Claremont of like, yes, like th- this is exactly why I love X-Men. You're, you're the reason because you get it. He wasn't just like, oh, because Sue Storm hasn't been written well. It was so much deeper than that. It was about the reflecting the reality of life. And I, I it's just really powerful to me. But now having said that, Faria's gonna... <laughs> And his What's mom, his mom is I, a pilot. I think right? of the. Um... I think she, I think she she was a pilot or something like that. I I mean I knew she was involved in in the war. She was a pilot um, in yes. some ways. I know his father. His his mother was a pilot. His father was an internist, which is a kind of doctor, right? And his mother was a pilot. Yeah. Look at yeah. that, Sadie pilots. And also, I mean, uh, and again, if you want this kind of yeah. stuff about X Men, please go listen to Explain the X Men. They they're the, the the research arm of the X Men yes. podcasting community, and they're also like the flagship of it. But Claremont, <laughs> um, Claremont's mother was Jewish and lived. He lived on a kibbutz in Israel during his youth, which again informs some of these analogies, like the one that Gene is making to Lang right here. But then, of course, yeah. we get a page turn of Lang backhanding Gene, and then Wolverine coming to the rescue saying that tears it bub uh because you're beating on the lady so Freya, yeah. please give us your perspective on where the scene goes after gene's amazing moment so i mean you know uh, we talked about it before that we are all part of the facebook uh group uh, and in that facebook group i did like a whole series of books that i've read that features female characters um and then did like a whole review written review things on it one of the things I have noticed, though, and this has most... I was just going to say, come... when Freya says there's a whole series, she's not talking about, like, five or ten. Freya did, what, over a hundred? A hundred and, like, eighteen? Yeah, we're not talking about a couple. We're talking about right. 172 different series. Okay, continue. Right, right, right. 172 <laughs> of them. Um, so one of the things I have noticed, though, is, like, and um, I don't have any statistical data. I didn't kept, kept like, numbers on it, but... I have noticed that especially when men write it, and I think to, the, to a certain degree women as well, they do it kind of for uh, for male characters, by it. Like they would, there's like, you they up, up the women's, like, you know, the male female character to be like, oh, badass, and you know, they will do something. But then in the next couple of scene that gets un, like, you know, turned around and then they put, they're put back in their place. Mm. And I don't know, like knowing what happens to Jean later on, I was just like not very comfortable with this because I'm like, yes, I get it. Like you're giving her this like this moment. But the thing is, in the second scene, she's slapped, which is fine. I mean, you know, that can happen to both a female and a female characters. Like, you know, but the thing is, a male character would probably be punched, but the female character would what's got, got a slap on the face. Um, and then... It was at that point Wolverine had to show his strength and come out, like, you know, get loose from his uh, bond, like, you know, this, his shackle. It's like, why couldn't he done it earlier? Like, why there was like this whole women in refrigerator moment to, you know, to get him to come into action, you know? So that kind of bothered me a little bit. And then also like, you know, the next follow-up page, uh, there was this whole Jean's trying to tear her, her fancy dress because you know you can't find an address and uh, i mean like I, I don't want to talk about that you guys talk about it it's like i was just rolling my eyes so much and i think a lot of the disappointment comes from that um you know 
I was told that Claremont actually is like very much, you know, female character oriented. I'm like, that scene was unnecessary. And I feel like that came from his hatred towards Wolverine, trying to show Wolverine as a bad or like, you know, kind of irredeemable character. He had to put Gene in an awkward moment. And, I would actually, uh, oh, I, I agree that. with that because the dynamics that he writes between Jean and the other characters and Storm and the other characters are are really fascinating. And we'll get to a point in a few issues where Storm actually has a similar moment, but everybody kind of like respects her for it. But it, I, I agree. I think he's using the make Wolverine odious to actually give us moments that are really um, weird and, and now to us very regressive with female characters, which is Wolverine like basically undressing Jean with his claws because um, to be like, yes, ah, helped you out with that dress there, lady, you know? Yeah, and uh, it's, it's and really, it's really weird and awkward yeah. and, 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 and lacks consent and just has a whole kind of like assault kind of quality to it that today, if this issue is being written in the same way, hopefully would not be there although periphery is reading might still be there right and then you know then that's that's to that to that point is like it's mm-hmm. like i understand the time and then the context and maybe he wasn't even thinking about it from that insidious point of view he was just trying to make wolverine to be an unsavory character right the thing is we have seen how far he has come since that you know i mean he has like as a character he has so all of that kind of feels a little bit unnecessary forcing that hey this is a unsavory character you guys and make him do this i'm like we already get that by the way he talks and everything so why add this but anyway it was just something well the issue kind of rolls quickly to a conclusion from this point uh, you know, the Storm, Banshee, and Wolverine are loose on the station. It seems like they're going to, like, break out on their own, only to discover, in fact, they are in space, and breaking through the walls of the station is not a great plan, especially because in space, no one can hear you scream, Banshee. And But meanwhile, on Earth, uh, the Peter Corbeau somehow makes his way back to the X-Mansion after being stranded 200 miles from anywhere in the middle of water uh, to inform the X-Men where the, everything has gone. But luckily, he's an astronaut, so he can help them with that right but it's the best possible person to have gotten left in the middle of the ocean and go back to tell the x-men because he's probably the one person in america who can take the x-men quickly to space tyler any any comments on the rest of this before Mm -hmm. we move on to the next issue (laughs) my my question is like why would dr peter kobu who is a friend of professor x i know he's like sneaking in the back wall (laughs) like i mean He's like, if he's a friend, like, wouldn't I know he be like pressing the, front the, door. Do- the, the, the doorbell on the front door? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, why would he be climbing over the, you know, that. the back wall? That, that doesn't make that. sense oh, to me. So classic X-Men number six reprints yeah. the story and it inserts a number of small retcons to the story, Claremont making future adjustments. Uh, he refers to... Mm-hmm. Um, let me get my notes here. So, so Banshee and Wolverine, we're see, we see them getting defeated by the Sentinels in New York, which in the actual issue kind of passes by really quickly. And plus, he just wasn't into writing them at that point, as Tyler has pointed out. Yeah, they're like no, it was. They it wasn't you know, even they got shown back to the original issue. Uh, you know, giving more dimension to the brief yeah. introduction of Amanda Sefton, as we've talked about already, and also it gives the hint that Lang is answering to a council of people who is also comprised of members of the Hellfire Club, which we will come back to in some of these classic yeah. X-Men backups because it becomes a really significant retcon plot point. But we're going to move on to issue number ninety-nine right now, yeah. which is lots of stuff happening on this space station. 
So what did we think about this issue, kind of bringing the X-Men all back together to fight Lang and his Sentinels in space? I actually liked the way that it was shown that this is in space because until that point, I didn't even like, you know, until they burst out of the space station, you know, you don't even think that this is in space, right? Because we saw uh, Lang in on Earth and all of that. So this kind of adds to that element. And then, of course, like, you know, the what we talked about, the 2XX machina of like, hey, we have an astronaut who is the friend who saw... Uh, Professor X being taken over by uh, Sentinel, and he can get us in space. Um, like, you know, just because we put on the astronaut helmet and everything, we can just sneak right in, you know? Um, yeah. Regardless yeah. We just of, moved like, up any... the launch and brought a crew of five extra people. Don't worry. Exactly. Yeah, don't worry about it, American taxpayer, <laughs> which I think it's operated by NASA. I don't know, you know, if it is operated, there's a certain level of transparency that should happen. I mean, <laughs> oh, I can go on and on about that. But um, I kind of really liked that one page where it's like side by side. I love that like, page. That, you know, that like two things were happening um, that, you know, that one was saying that, hey, we need to get them back in because they just <laughs> flown away. And then uh, Corbo explaining to Cyclops okay. how this is all working out. Yeah. And what about that panel with like um, all the circuit board and Cyclops face? There's just some it? really. I think that page is a really cool, inventive page. I mean, it's a ten panel page, and 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 the side by side is interesting. As I was reading this in oh. my omnibus, uh, my daughter came into the room, and she is she's like just reciting it because she has these issues memorized, and she's like, ah, but isn't it interesting how you can read across or read down on this page? I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. you, you've clearly been reading Claremont X Men since you were four years old. Uh, you know, it is really interesting because it's one of these <laughs> things where it works side by side, but then you can just read them both down sequentially, and it's very clever. And it's actually also like a, I think a manga. Mm-hmm way of doing things because in they don't do strips like si- sideways they just do top to bottom so mm. it kind of reminded me of that as well like you know just kind of doing it that from that point of view typically it's four panel but this is five it still works the same way but then coming out of that page we go into this page a montage of anti-mutant hysteria being reported on before we cut into the launch of the space shuttle and again mutants have been hated they've been feared but this is a this is a much different beat that Claremont is inserting that there's like riots about anti-mutant hysteria uh th- this is this is Claremont building yeah. something of his own and to that point, though, it's like, what is the hysteria supposed to accomplish? Like, what are these people rioting? Like, what what are they, like, you know, they're just, just going there as, like, no more mutant, and then what? Like, I don't know. I was just laughing at that as well. <laughs> like, people well, just and it's in, it's really no, interesting because there's, like, no a wag point. the dog... There's a wag the dog quality to it because it even says, you know, the epidemic of anti-mutant hysteria has swept the country following the Christmas Eve reappearance of the notorious mutant hunting sentinels. It's like the people with the sentinels know that regular people are like, oh no, the sentinels are like in our lives hunting the mutants that are around us. And even though you would think the natural reaction would be like, get those sentinels away, they're endangering us. The reaction actually turns into like, oh, we've got to get rid of the mutants so the sentinels won't endanger us, which is crazy. It's like, or don't send the sentinels in. To capture yeah. the mutants that's a more logical but it's just it's like such a wonderful little political jab from claremont that you know even in the 1970s like you, the, an easy way to make somebody with the perception of privilege hate somebody else is to make them feel inconvenienced 
Well, and they and there's even like a panel of um pro mutant judge getting like you know his, yeah. his fire right. getting his house getting set on fire, um. So you know, I mean, so there are all sorts of things that he's laying the groundwork for, which um will surface now and then. But you know, we will get to that like hmm. actually quite. Far and then also, the oh, go ahead. And then, no, there's just this caption which I thought was really funny because it says, as you can see, the team of four men and a woman is now boarding the launch oh. vehicle. They are to augment the Star Corps international crew. International. Interracial. Intersexual. I was like, what? What do you mean by oh intersexual? I'm like, no one talks like that now. <laughs> it's like, it's like he was so excited about diversity that he just said some weird shit right there. <laughs> yeah, but intersexual not... was like, what? It's so not... that's male and female. Yeah, it's, not, it's not, I mean, intersex is a completely different conception, Rao. So that I was like, what does that even mean? I know. Um, but the it thing gave is, me like, like, I... <laughs> it gave me heavy it? vibes of like the per the guy who's really trying really hard in your company, but he hasn't had the sensitivity training yet. And he's like saying things. And you're like, no, stop, stop, stop saying the things. <laughs> and to be honest, though, I think that, you know, he was actually right. Like, it's not like, oh, like, oh, how, why would Simon say that? But it's like, that's exactly how news people would probably react to yeah. new things like you know new ideas Cast. and things like that but uh, to that point though what you were talking about that you know how saving um like i want to actually save some of these uh paid panels um as my backup so every time someone now says oh why aren't mutants will just go and live in an island on their own i can just slap these paid panels in their face i'm like yeah look 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 look, look what humans have done so, so now shut the fuck <laughs> So reading Wait, the classic stuff. It helped me all this time. This is one of the reasons I didn't couldn't read X Men all these years because it's like that's all X Men is. Like you know they're just hunting, like you know fighting and fearing humans. And now it's like, well, it started over there, and all of these people are like, oh, I'm a Claremont pure X Men Claremont fan. I'm like, yeah. So you didn't read all this, like right? Like it's it, that's my whole point. Like if you're a Claremont fan <laughs> and you've re- and you're committed that you're this big Claremont reader. Like, you read Jean's monologue last issue. You read the stuff mm-hmm. in this issue. Like, get like X-Men is about social justice. It's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, but, you know, Claremont like also ins- inserts some other great little subplot moments here. Um, as the, you know, we get another hint mm-hmm. at Storm's claustrophobia as this rocket ship takes off. Uh, we also get a little moment of Peter talking about his brother, who is a co- a cosmonaut who died on the launch pad, supposedly. Uh, we get a little bit of, and uh, also of this Banshee subplot setting up what the next story will be of somebody desperately trying to send a letter to Banshee in the United States, care of the School for Gifted Youngsters, and being cut down in the night. Mm-hmm. because. Um, but the letter, unfortunately, you know, the Postal Service will get it there anyway, despite the machinations of a cameo first appearance of Black Tom here. But if we get past those moments, now we're in space to what I think is some really cool action of the X-Men being threatened by the Sentinels out in space and and all that entails that. So, Tyler, Freya, what did you think about this sequence? I feel like finally, like, you know, the actions were, like, matching up with what was in place. Like, you know, it, it didn't feel static, but mostly, mm. like, you know, not, not only just, like, a lot of things were going on, that it's, like, also... Uh, very um, 
very big scope you know like the fact that the, that it's happening in space and all that mm-hmm. so um i really enjoyed like you know and the coloring and everything it was like a very um like you know there's like a splashes of pink splashes of like yellow and all of that so um i think like from yellow. the art point of view and also from the yeah. story point of view it kind of it really worked Mm-hmm. Well, I'm 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 actually nitpicking it apart. I was like, oh, why would Kurt be worrying about Colossus? Because Colossus does right, not. Right, hadn't figured that out yet. But, but within twenty or thirty issues, I think we'll we'll know that. Yeah, he hadn't figured that out yet. Yeah, and then and then Storm is like flying on solar wings and creating force travel to storms powered by the sun, and then you know, and and I think you have the Sentinel. Um, you know, <laughs> no. being blown away and screaming, and I'm like, um, yeah, but but the other thing also is that it's in vacuum. So how does it make that noise? Is like who is here? <laughs> I I don't know, but you know that kind of thing. And then um, oh yeah, and then you know we talk about Claremontism. There's one here. That's like, yeah, nice yeah you will see that a no hundred times. That will come up a lot. Nice <laughs> you will see no that dice. all the yeah, time. I saw that. I was like, ah. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. To me, like but I kind of agree with up. every nitpicking thing <laughs> like, you were you were talking about. But I didn't want to be the one saying that because it's like, oh, because you know you're a new reader. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I thought about every one of them, but I'm like, eh, like you know, it's a comic. <laughs> this is when, yeah, this let is me, when the let comic me be the bad guy. logic kind of. I feel like I'll give you one. You know, I'll give you one. Well, and that's, I think, one of the problems, you know, modern readers say that they have problems getting through all the captions or whatever, but I do think that modern readers sometimes can get stuck Mm -hmm. on these little, like, the powers don't work like that, you can't yell and say, because modern comics are almost, like, over-rationalized to a fault, where, like, everything is beaten into such sense that, like, that if, if there's one thing that doesn't quite track, it's like, plot hole, I found a plot hole, like... That's not even what the no prize used to be for, you know? Like, And I, I just think maybe because I grew up on a lot yeah. of comics like this, to me, it's it's kind of just charming in a way. It's like, yeah, we'll fix that later. But in the moment, does not matter? Like, you know, it only matters when a later author seizes upon it. It's like, Storm can make force 12 gales in space. But Claremont himself goes back and fixes it. If we look at the Claren- the classic X-Men revisions to this issue, yeah. um, it shows a little bit more of how the X-Men got to the space shuttle, which is a bit of a mystery as you're reading this issue. Um, it shows Banshee yes. and Wolverine kind of getting freed by being captives again. And it also, um, it, ex- it, it totally rewrites the panels mm-hmm. With Storm's powers in space. And it also connects the Hellfire Club again to the story and sets up that there's internal fighting within the Hellfire Club, Shaw versus this guy, Edward Buckman. Hellfire Club, we're not going to meet for another 30 issues in actual X-Men continuity, but Claremont wants to kind of show what they're doing in the background here. And so... And also because I think he he mentioned the Chosen Council without explaining who the Chosen Council is like in the next issue so i think he had to like he, i mean he went back and built up a story behind and also that i think that um, if you were doing a full everything x-men read like you you're about to encounter emma frost in a backup story so if you wanted to read emma frost's 18 issue solo series mm-hmm. which is about kind of her teenagerdom and childhood um in parallel to silver age x-men you probably will want to have read it by now because if you're doing a full read you're about to meet emma frost in a backup this issue by the way ends on this whole 
the X-Men are going to fight the X-Men, which is like so Silver Age. Um, but we'll talk about that more in issue 100, which I think we'll be doing in the next episode. So before we move on to the actual stories in the classic X-Men issues, any more comments on issue number 99? Um, I feel like... Oh, everybody's ready. Um, okay. Have... Yeah, everybody a has a comment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Go yeah. Ahead. My comment was like, I think up oh, to yeah. this point, I felt like... Um, uh, what's his name? Oh my God, Paul's us. Peter? P- Peter? Yeah. Peter, uh, like, you know, Peter, Peter was Peter, like yeah. very, uh-huh. Peter, like, you know, Peter is like very pro-USSR as of right, like, you know, up to that point, because he's like, he's kind of portrays this like very happy-go-lucky Russian, which you don't quite see a lot. Uh, <laughs> but then this is the first time he talks about his brother, um, like, you know, being a cosmonaut and then potentially pass, like, you know, pass away. The thing is like, he's also a farmer's son. So he's Mm-hmm. potentially his brother was probably taken away yes. like, and to put put as like a cosmonaut like you know not mm-hmm. necessarily with enough training or enough reasoning and all of that mm-hmm. so it's like a little bit of that kind of comes in that hey his life may not it's not all it was cracked perfect. up to be yeah. yeah it's not as he all cracked up we know what uses are yeah. up to it's mm-hmm. okay we do know that so it's like so i thought that that's something that kind of jumped out at me in terms of character <gasps> Uh, beat points yeah mm-hmm. character moments yeah so Faria do you do you, have no, you I don't. do you know oh, who no. Mikael is well that'll be a while do you know that he he has already appeared in he did? X-Force in Dark yes. who was he he did <laughs> he was the one who well he was the one who who pulled out the cerebral sword oh from really your, from your wow boot. okay it has been so long like x of swords yeah. have taken over my entire life like i have forgotten <laughs> all about that i have to go back and read it because i i genuinely thought that you know the the character will come yeah. back later because i'm like yeah, oh yeah th- th- these characters like yeah Way, oh, way, it will, but way, it will way be like okay. way now down you, the road. Okay, now I have to way down the road. Now I have to go. Yeah. So he's he just hmm. now you gotta do. Well, anyway, I just want to have uh, a, a quick comment about the cover and the corner box of the head. I shots. love corner boxes. Like I miss those things. Yeah. Like in modern comics, you don't really have corner boxes but, anymore. But you know, you you have the top. Left but in dogs now you get a faces. character page in every in front of every one of them. Like who's involved? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of the same thing. Like in, on the news from a newsstand standpoint, the corner box was to be to remind kind you, like, hey, thing. you like all yeah. these characters, even if they're not on the cover right now, you should still pick up this issue. Yeah. Where it's like ah. the the new now you know in the recaps, it's kind of like you may not remember this full cast because <laughs> the stories are so decompressed. But let's just remind you. Yeah, I did have one other character so note big. here, which is that yeah. again, it's <laughs> Claremont starting to figure out what Kurt is for. A lot of Kurt in the fights up to this point, he just bamps behind somebody and like punches them, and like and it's like. Like, what really but here we see him really being an acrobat jumping around colossus criticizes his flamboyance in battle mm-hmm. and but also nightcrawler is starting to get snappy he makes a joke about being like this russian gymnast and colossus is like i miss the joke my friend like we're just starting to get a little bit of um a little bit of who kurt is and i think claremont 
you can just see Claremont having fun with Kurt in this issue and in the next couple of issues. So it's like one of those moments of a character really clicking. But now let's get to classic X-Men 6 and 7, which have their own backup stories. So classic X-Men 6 has a pretty much entirely silent backup story of Jean preparing for her date with Cyclops in Uncanny X-Men 98. It's really gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It has some like hee Easter eggs about Jean becoming the Phoenix. But Freya, is there anything more to it other than it just being really gorgeous? Yeah. Did it did it tell you anything about Jean? It was also very sad. Like she oh, put God. like I know she created created a Scott dress thingy and then dances with it. I was like, that's when I'm like, yeah, honey, you gotta leave that guy. Like really, <laughs> that's what I. Why do you, why do you think it makes it, you want her, her to leave him? Because he's yeah. never there, or like the, oh. he's not available the way she the way she wants him. You know, because you know he oh, she okay. was even though she's about to meet him, she still recreates that scene and then have like a dance because somehow she knows that it's not going to go. Like it will not work. Like that there will not be a date. Which wow. there wasn't. A I want to go reread you know. the the story now because I have a completely. I just <laughs> thought it was this great like Sleeping Beauty, you know, Once Upon a Dream, where the owl dances with her, and like I just like thought it was sweet. But that is a completely different and I dare say incredibly accurate read on the scene. Yeah, I mean that's 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 because the thing is like everything yeah. that we have seen so far that she's kind of she was very easily kind of looked at Wolverine, who is anti-Cyclops, like, you know, complete opposite of Cyclops, like how easily she did. And then, they like, you know, Misty kind of left her note that, oh, have fun and all that. But then she kind of decided to have that dance knowing that Cyclops mm. was never going to be present. Broke my heart. And I'm like, yeah, girl, leave him. There's, like, plenty mm. of fish out there. Like, you know, both... No, not no, that. No, not hairy, smelly Ooh. fish like that, Tyler. Yeah, not, not that, you know. <laughs> Anyone else. Like, even Storm, I don't know. Like, hey, listen. But, you know, so it's just like, I was like, oh, that's so sad. It made me sad. I mean, but, you know, with this story, it makes like three silent issues starring uh -huh. Jean Grey. You have this one. You have the one in New X-Men, and you have the most recent one, which is the giant-sized X-Men. Well, and I think it's an interesting Jean fact, because it kind of, Emma, again, going right? with her getting under Lang's skin, like, it shows that how much of Jean's life is an internal life, you know? And it's, I think that's actually a theme with her over the years, that she doesn't always get to say everything that is strong about her, mm -hmm. which is sort of a cop-out, right? You have this amazing character. And I think that's part of why I love her so much. That there's just so yeah. much more to her that's never been shown. She keeps getting killed. She keeps having these silent, strong moments. But, like, I love when Jean says it out loud. And I think that's why I liked a lot of X-Men Red, even though some of it wasn't great, because Jean, it's Jean saying the thing instead of just thinking the thing. And so while I love the Jean silent issues, because I think they really give us great contemplative moments with her, I like the Jean loud issues even better so we uh, also oh, go ahead no, i was just gonna say that's that's yeah. why i also liked uh dennis hopeless's jean gray even though this is not the right jean gray the whole timeline blah blah blah, blah. but jean oh, gray yeah, was kind but... of very interesting character <laughs> that young jean gray is is a very different well 
in in some ways, it's a very different Jean Grey. Yeah, this, and I think this, it makes sense because it was like Grey. a redo, right? Like it's like, oh, if yeah. I were right, if we could do all time, this over, yeah. yeah, we could do all this over. I would be a different person, like different yeah. young person. So I think like it kind of works. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which which was an interesting take. I mean, which which kind of like sort of is my defense for Young Jean Grey because it's like, look. She knew she's going to die right. if she continue on this path. Like, what do you expect her to do? Just be herself? Or say like all the, the things. Her same old know? self? No, of course not. Yeah. yeah, of course not. I mean, of course she's going to be a little bit immoral, you know, in that sense. Because she knows that, like, you know, <laughs> this is the path leading to my death. I'm going to steer it so that I'm not. Well, we on also that have path. one more classic issue here, and I have to so, admit, this yeah. is the first time I've done more than just skim this issue for a guide. And oh my goodness, there is a lot of material in this story in X Men Classic number seven. It's the first full on Hellfire Club story. We get Shaw's machinations. We meet who will later mm-hmm. be Sage. We get Emma Frost operating, I think, before she's officially the White Queen, because at the end of the story, the White King gets killed. We get them fighting as Sentinel, including yeah. Harry Leland. And I have always felt as a D- Dark Phoenix saga connoisseur that I don't know that Shaw's powers and Leland's powers are used in a really great way. We only get to see them use them once or twice in Dark Venus Saga, I think this is like a better Hellfire Club fight against mm-hmm. the Sentinel than all the Dark Phoenix Saga, but it also is really interesting because it shows that the Hellfire Club was not necessarily and is not necessarily a mutant-exclusive club, and that the power dynamics inside of it are such that sometimes there's humans who are trying to eliminate the mutants, sometimes there's mutants who are trying to eliminate the humans, and it's it's no more immune to those kind of battles than the wider society. So I think this issue, I personally might read this issue later just because it introduces the Hellfire Club so early, but I think it's a phenomenal story, and I I even felt yeah. for the character that died, even though she just got introduced like right in that moment. Yeah. I don't know. Tyler, for you, what know, did you think right? of this introduction to Hellfire Club? Um, so I w- I'm not kind of privy to all the things that are coming up. So I will reserve that comment for a later time. Um, I was mostly fascinated by Shaw's mm-hmm. character. Because, because you have some opinions on Shaw based on our current opini- reading. Yeah, I have some opinions on Shaw and murders. But I, it was kind of reminding me of, like, uh, I think New Mutant, either New Mutant 10 or 11, in one of those where he goes to a yes. drug dealer's and he says that, uh, like, you cannot F with mutants because... I am the one who's going to do that. Yeah, I will have with mutants. It's for me. Yeah, you can. Because, you know, I am one of yep. them and I can do anything. And I feel like that's kind of like, it It shows that this is who that character is. Like, he will do everything to get power. And even that means, like, you know, with some mutants not suffering or whatever. But the thing is, like, he is all about mutant, like, mutant supremacy. But he has to be on the top. Right. You know, so and then. Uh, right. Well, and this is where it started. So this story sort of tells right. the story so of it, how he become like that. Because remember, in the beginning, he was like, oh, I'm happy to be just playing second fiddle to my, yeah, yeah, yeah. To my friend. Exactly. And, and then double then, crosses right. him and he's like, mutant power. Yeah, but I think like, you know, I oh, well, I wasn't sure whether that he <laughs> yeah. was just saying it because he always says nonsense and you never know what he's talking about like you know he he always changes the stories right so yeah. i thought that that was also his internal mm-hmm. like he was just yeah. playing the game 
but the thing is, like, I like I kind of was more fascinated by Shaw the character and his origin towards what we see him now. Tyler, what about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the point. I mean, this is sort of to me the origin of the um, the Hellfire uh, Club's inner circle mm-hmm. as we knew, as we know, as we know it. Because I think initially it was ran by humans who, uh, you know, who has right. a different set of objectives. And then this is the point where he brought in Leland, he brought in Emma Frost. And then um, I think Emma Frost scene also is quite, um, well, I wouldn't say it's significant, but it sort of explains certain things, which I think the main series did not explain, which was how um, Rosie... Right actually survived the plane crash because I think we have one scene of, of, of the plane crash and or helicopter crash I can't remember but and then they were saying that all aboard has died but I think uh, Rosie will appear later on in, in the series so this one is sort of Claremont putting it like oh okay he's being rescued by um, and to the point that like, there wasn't a lot of Emma as we know it in here like it's more of like her origin no. story in a way that you know she's just silently no. lurking and then we know what she will become later on. And I feel like whoever did X-Men First Class only read that comic yeah. and then decided to do... <laughs> decided to do Emma <laughs> no, Frost. That one is that. terrible. But, I mean, but... I mean, this story right. is really a Sebastian Shaw story. It's not. Um, it's not an Emma Frost story. It's not a Leland story. It's not a Tessa, which is who oh, will later on become Sage. Because yes. uh, Claremont, red Claremont retcons like his yes. life depends on it. Uh, but yeah. yeah, Emma Frost really does have an interesting arc, and I think reading her yeah. series adds to this too, where she goes from kind of underling to like somebody that gets noticed to somebody who shows power, who's somebody who has power, who to somebody who's in power, and Claremont actually does do that arc because we see her go from kind of this like helper almost subservient to probably by like her appearance in the 150s of Uncanny sort of being almost equal to Shaw and then by the time we see her again in the 200s of X-Men she's the one in charge so it's really interesting and um and you know Emma's a quintessential Claremont character also speaking of things quintessentially Claremont we're coming upon a huge issue with Uncanny X-Men 100 that has one of the first big cliffhangers in Uncanny X-Men history and we're going to be reading it in our next episode so if you want to keep up with us next episode we're going to be doing uncanny x-men 100 and 101 and also classic x-men 8 and 9 which includes revisions to those issues as well as backup stories although we will warn you that the classic x-men number eight backup is a serious retcon and if you just want to read the original arc of phoenix as it was written at the time without the later 1980s retcons you probably should skip classic x-men number eight but we'll tell you more about that next episode so uh any parting yeah. comments from us before we say goodbye until next time? Um, I feel like the Claremont Run is actually taking off. Oh, I'm heating up space. a little bit for you. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's because before, I yep. think this is like the first ones where it's like not plotted by Lynn Wine. So it's just like, you know, Claremont. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, let's just see how where it goes. All right. 
Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> you would not. I would be afraid would with any other thing on this planet to overhype it, but there's just so much in, in, in Uncanny X Men yeah. that it's impossible to over. And oh no matter how much we say, there's more. So on that note, we'll leave you today from myself and Tyler and Freya. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening and watching Crushing Crisis and Crushing Comics. And we will be back in the future uh, to talk more about our epic <laughs> X Men reread. Please take care. Bye.